Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Up in the sky, look, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! And now, Superman. A being no larger than an ordinary man, but possessed of powers and abilities never before realized on Earth. Able to leap into the air an eighth of a mile at a single bound. Hurdle a 20-story building with ease. Race a high-powered bullet to its target. Lift tremendous weights and rend solid steel in his bare hands as though it were paper. Superman. A strange visitor from a distant planet. Champion of the oppressed. Physical marvel extraordinary who has sworn to devote his existence on Earth to helping those in need. Yes, it's Superman. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott, and we have, uh, with us tonight, I have Brian Hughes. Hey, how's it going? Kirk Greenfield. Well, good evening. And lastly, my West Coast compatriot, we have John Hyatt. Hey there, we are recording on National Mead Day. Oh, that's right. I saw your your post. National what day? Mead. Mead. Okay. I thought you said meat. No. (laughs) Mead Day. I thought he said weed. Oh, weed. Okay. I'm I'm sure there is one of those too here. That's almost every day for some folks. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, we are, this is going to be kind of our, to steal from Back to Ben's, our obligatory coattail writing episode, because we are going to be covering a another issue of uh, Superman, Volume 2, and mainly because it features the uh, first appearance of Bloodsport, and if you've been to the, the theater this weekend and you watched Suicide Squad, then you will be familiar with that character, played by Idris Elba, so... You don't have to go to the theater to watch it. Or you can true. watch it on, on H- HBO Max. But I, the, I watched it last night. That's had the a blast. Best experience. We went and saw Black Widow in the theater, and now we yes. want to go see this. We may go see it tomorrow. We'll go to the theater because I I miss being in the theater. So, and I tell you, there there are scenes in this movie that are so made for the big screen. I I, yeah, I mean, we enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun with the movie, but there there are scenes I would I, I would have preferred to have seen. In a giant theater with a huge, huge screen. Well, it's, I, you playing, know, it's, just... it's playing IMAX in some of the theaters here. Wow. So, wow. Now, yeah. now, Dave is watching this movie we're talking about, right? Yes. David's yeah. watching it right and... now. David had a real rough week, so he won't, will not be joining us. But we've got the rest of the crew here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just I'm excited to do this one. I mean, there's a, a lot to talk about in there. Uh, a lot of different things. Um but, you know, we can talk a little bit about uh, Bloodsport being in Suicide Squad. Now, if you guys don't know the whole story there, uh, Will Smith wasn't available to come back as Deadshot. And so they actually hired Idris Elba to come in and play the part, take over the role. But Will Smith, you know, basically went to them and said, hey, I may be available for a movie down the line. I just couldn't do it right now. And so they just decided to go ahead and rewrite the role. But 
I mean, for all intents and purposes, you could have put Deadshot right in there, and he would have just that would have been it. See, I heard but, it was uh, it was uh, a gun who suggested that they change it in case Will Smith yeah. wanted to come back and play the revise his role, and they basically, you know, it looks like they just found the next closest African American character analog, and just plucked him out because you know for. Importance-wise, Bloodsport, I've, you know, I looked up his history. He doesn't have an extensive history in DC, not as much as Deadshot. No, I mean, really, as far as this character, the Robert Dubois character goes, he's got this appearance and really just a uh, a later appearance where he gets in a fight with the guy, another guy claiming to be Bloodsport yeah. while he's in prison. And apparently, spoiler for something 30 years old, uh, Bloodsport get or twenty years old. Bloodsport gets killed while trying to escape from prison, or yeah. Robert <gasps> Dubois does. Yeah. Now oh. there, there was a another guy that found Bloodsport's equipment. This uh, sounds familiar. I've in, seen this before. This isn't this the Hobgoblin, the origin <laughs> of the Hobgoblin. <laughs> well, yeah. It, I mean, this was a homeless man found found Bloodsport's equipment. I think it was in Superman issue. 59 or somewhere around that and um i I think he wound up getting himself killed though anyway um but but i mean you know that's that's really it as far as the robert dubois character goes i mean he's in this issue the who's who in the uh dc universe he's got an entry in there and then the escape and uh apparent death And, and that's funny i i in everything that i read about him, it always had. Apparently, he was killed. Man, well, that's so leaving the door open, open for him to always leave it open. Yeah, so he can come back. And uh, you know, I can say that as far as his character goes, there's one line of dialogue that and and the name Robert Dubois that ties his character to the original Bloodsport, and that line of dialogue was actually used in all the commercials, stating how he put Superman in the ICU. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have the same costume, does he? No, he no. It, yeah. it, it, I think it's the costume that the later guy actually used. It's white, that, where they have a full mask, maybe. But it was it was like a gunmetal. Oh, okay. Black but shiny. But uh, yeah, and in teleporting weapons in, he would sit there and just have it, it, he'd almost Iron Man the weapons off of different modules off of his body. Yeah. So he'd have all sorts of like things on his body that he could transform into multiple weapons, add things onto it. And, you know, it's just like, a, a, a like Iron Man putting stuff together. Right. Uh, In other words, it's going to be an action figure for this Christmas for the little <laughs> kitties. Yeah, probably, probably. Uh, so do we want to get into the particulars of this? Sure. Yeah. You're... Okay. So, Let's see. Now, this, of course, is Superman Volume 2, number four, published by DC Comics with a cover date of April 1987. The on-sale date was January 8, 1987. Cover price is 75 cents, page count 32. And the, let's see, writer-penciler is John L. Byrne, anchor. And this is his first issue of Superman. He'd already inked uh, uh, John on Legends. But uh, Carl Kessel... Uh, comes in after Terry Austin did the first three issues. Lettered by John Costanza, ink, uh, colored by Anthony Tolan, and, of course, edited by Andrew Helfer. 
And this, of course, is reprinted in Superman, the Man of Steel, Volume 3. It's the first story in there. And uh, there are several first appearances, of course. The first appearance of Bloodsport himself and the first appearance of Maggie Sawyer, uh, who, of course, is the head of the Metropolis Major Crimes Unit. And so uh, let's see. Of course, it's the first um, and really only appearance that we are familiar with of Bloodsport Robert Dubois. Okay, so what else came out in April of 1987? We have, let's see, Action Comics, number 587. That is the team-up with Etrigan the Demon. Uh, Doomsday Squad, number six, which is a reprint of Doomsday Plus One, number six. That was put out by Fantagraphics there in the late uh, mid-80s. And those are fantastic reprints of those books. If, if, if you've got the originals, you need to take a look at these to see how, how well they made uh, those original pages look. They're beautiful. Uh, Legends number six, the finale. Marvel Tales number 198. Now, this was a reprint of Marvel Team-Up, the issue where Spider-Man and Iron Fist teamed up against the Steel Serpent. Uh, and then, of course, Who in Star Trek and I think this is the one that actually uh, had Byrne do the artwork on Khan, which uh, back then I did not, you know, didn't consider, uh, you know, a, a what do you what do you call it? A rendering of someone from a picture or whatever photo photo reference picture. Mm -hmm. But that's uh, definitely what it was. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, look at the way he drew Khan. He must really, really love Star Trek. And well, that much is uh, so that is true. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you guys have any comments before I get into the synopsis? No, I think there's going to be a lot to talk about once uh, you get through this. and we. Uh... Okay. So apparently this story only takes a couple, takes place a couple days before it was released because it starts two days before Christmas. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> two days before Christmas, Jimmy Olsen and Lucy Lane are having burgers at Hembeck's when a man screams, Fools! and starts shooting up the place. Jimmy quickly gets Lucy and himself down out of the way of the gunfire, but many of the other patrons are not so lucky. A heavily armed gunman in fatigues and red do-rag admonishes those he just shot for wasting their lives while he and Mickey got their cans blown off in Nam. Excuse me, Nam. He gets on the heavily modified motorcycle, takes one last parting explosive shot, and drives away, leaving Jimmy to use his special watch he built to call his pal Superman. The ultrasound signal works as Superman does eventually arrive, telling Jimmy this had better not be another flat tire. Captain Maggie Sawyer is at the scene with the major crimes unit, but instead of briefing Superman on the shooting, she tells him to go to the scene himself. Superman enters the eatery to see many dead bodies strewn about, all killed during Bloodsport's rampage. The horror of what he sees is so evident on his face, he is shaken. Sawyer informs that there is at least 25 dead. Superman uses his infrared vision to track Bloodsport's residual heat image and takes off, grimly determined to catch this murderer. Jimmy tries to follow Superman, but his car will not start, so he leaves Lucy and hails a cab. We cut to a scene that occurred just a few moments before as Bloodsport is shooting up a bowling alley and apparently holding several patrons hostage. Superman shows up in dramatic fashion and threatens Bloodsport in an effort to get him to put his gun down. A standoff ensues with Bloodsport holding a massive high-tech weapon 
against the head of a woman patron while Superman stands several yards away. Both men steal themselves as Superman begins to step towards Bloodsport. Bloodsport begins to pull the trigger of the gun, and as the hammer starts to move for the shot, Superman's speed is so great that he's able to move across the floor and redirect the gun to fire off into the air before it could hit the woman. Superman then strikes Bloodsport in front of him and tosses a gun behind him, thinking to disarm him. But as Bloodsport lays on the floor, he pulls his left hand up and another smaller high-tech gun materializes out of thin air. Superman realizes there's more to Bloodsport here than he originally thought, but still tries to talk down, saying that no handgun on Earth can harm him. This is the moment where he gets proven wrong, though, as Bloodsport shoots him with some sort of kryptonite needle. Superman doubles over in pain, and Bloodsport goes in for the kill, aiming for a headshot at point-blank range. Jamie Olsen steps in, though, as he's able to grab Bloodsport's larger gun that Superman tossed away earlier. Bloodsport drops the kryptonite gun and then drops a smoke bomb of some type to escape. Jimmy is overcome by the smoke, and while Bloodsport makes good on his escape, Jimmy turns his concern to Superman, who calls out to him weakly. Cut to a hospital, where Jimmy gets an update from a doctor that patched up Superman, who also violates many HIPAA laws in telling Jimmy he was able to remove the kryptonite, but that Superman lost a lot of blood. Jimmy is able to walk in on Superman while he's getting dressed. Superman acknowledges he's not well, and that given Bloodsport's tech, he's pretty sure he knows who's behind the killer. Cut to a private high-tech lab of Lex Luthor, who asks his head tech stooge what the blazes is going on. It's here that we find that Luthor's people had outfitted Bloodsport with his high-tech arsenal, feeding off of Vietnam fixation in an effort to point him specifically at Superman. Unfortunately, Luthor did not listen when they told him this guy could be dangerous. Luther orders his immediate termination, and he doesn't mean employment. Cut back to Bloodsport, who is shooting wildly around with two large, again, high-tech weapons. Superman finds his lead and lands close by, but clumsily due to his loss of he starts talking to Bloodsport again in an effort to move up on him. Bloodsport does not try to use a kryptonite again, simply using a large arsenal at his literal fingertips in an effort to kill Superman. He transports in a form of grenade launcher and fires multiple rounds at the Man of Steel, sending him to the ground. Once again, Bloodsport moves in for the kill. When he hears something from behind, then moves away yelling, Incoming! Explosions go off behind Bloodsport where he stood. A tank and multiple armored men stand by, ordering Bloodsport to stand down, or they'll blow him to kingdom come, courtesy of Lex Luthor. Bloodsport does not stand down, but fires right at Luthor's men, calling Luthor a do-gooder, and saying he should mind his own business. Superman lends a hand at this point, ripping up the street on one side of the Bloodsport, tumbling him on the ground from his Bloodsport points another larger weapon and uses it on the tank, blowing it to pieces. It's at this point that Superman realizes how Bloodsport's getting his weapons. Superman uses his heat vision to ionize the air around Bloodsport, rendering any weapon he ports in useless. As Bloodsport's weapons crumble, Superman takes a moment to knock out the villain with a flick of his wrist. Superman tells him to surrender, but Bloodsport has other plans. He turns his power pack into a bomb with a hand on the dead man's switch, saying the bomb will kill everything within 10 miles. It's at this point that another man enters the area, the quadriplegic man in a wheelchair, who pleads with Bobby to let it end. It's Bloodsport's brother, Mickey, who brought by Jimmy Olsen to talk Bloodsport down. And he does, Bloodsport giving up on the spot. It's here 
find out Bloodsport, Robert Dubois, was a known draft dodger, and that his younger brother lied about his name and age, took his, bro his brother's place in Vietnam, only to get blown up over there, losing both his arms and legs. Jimmy was able to track who Bloodsport was from fingerprints left on the gun used in the bowling. Bloodsport has been in psychiatric care for the previous 12 years. Then six weeks before this incident, he just disappeared. The story ends with everybody left behind to pick the pieces up from this private little war. The end. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. This, this was a, an interesting story in, in today's day and age. You know, I mean, I don't think that you could tell this story today, not in the era of mass shootings that we've seen over the last few years. This was, you know, square in the middle of the 80s. And while we'd had a few shootings here and there, it had not been as rampant, widespread and as prevalent as it is today. No, it's, I think the uh, I think to your point, one, I think it also has a, a strong influence because, you know, through the 80s, Rambo 2 came out in 85. Mm -hmm. And throughout the 80s, you had that as kind of a movie trope of the Vietnam vet who's come back and either they're they become the uh, the protagonist. And, you know, they're kind of crazed and they're nuts. And they, uh, you know, like Gary Busey and uh, Lethal Weapon or yeah. they're troubled and like Rambo, you know, and they're haunted by what they experienced. And they might have some psychological problems uh, and usually they become they stumble upon a problem and they become a hero and help somebody out. Uh, I think it's really interesting at the end of this, Byrne dedicates this to, what does he say, uh, dedicated to the names on the black wall mm -hmm. and those who remember them. And the Vietnam Memorial was established in 82. So it's odd that he seems to be dedicating this to Vietnam vets, but he doesn't paint, uh, mm -hmm. now, granted, Bloodsport's not a vet. But he doesn't paint him in a very well, uh, uh, you know, because up until we find out that he's not really the vet, it was his brother. We mm -hmm. assume he is, uh, he's from, you know, he's experienced all this in the war. And Byrne doesn't paint him in a very nice light. He kind of paints no. him the way he was in, in films and stuff in the 80s, that he's just kind of deranged and he's uh, psychologically screwed up and he's dangerous. And yeah, even, well, keep in mind, you know, the black wall is for those that died. Or were missing, right? Not, but yeah, still, at the, I think the veterans themselves, but, right? And to your point, that this would not fly today, and it absolutely would not, because one, yeah. the mass shootings that would keep it from it. The way that you're portraying a vet, and I hate to say it, the fact that this guy's an African American, he's and he's the villain. That wouldn't. Yeah. I don't think that would go either. And even Superman himself, I don't think is very sympathetic towards him. He's. Uh, later on, he kind of says, well, let's see if we can get, you know, get you the help you need, because obviously you're you've got some mental issues. But at first he's like, yeah, we're just going to, you know, I'm going to uh, he threatens him he to just walked alley. into an area and saw 25 dead bodies blown to pieces. I mean, you know, that's going to shake anybody. And but, you see it in that page. Yeah. Just how shaken he is. You see it. But I want to see Superman really shaken by it. He seems angry, but I want him to see. Let's portray this as up until now he's you know he's fought probably fought villains he's fought super villains and he's you haven't seen him deal with a lot of uh, necessarily a lot of death. I mm -hmm. would want this really to kind of shake Superman to his core like it would any rational human who came in and saw this that but he just you know, he just he's just determined you know I'm gonna you know I'm gonna you know he's good as caught and he runs after him 
and then he kind of threatens him when he's in um, in the bowling alley. Um, and he, you know, he does. But I want Superman to be a little more affected by this. He seems to be. Yeah, and, and after this issue, you don't hear pretty much anything else about it. Mm-mm. Oh, these stories are done in one. I yeah. I thought it was effective. I thought it got across that he was pretty shocked the way that that uh, Byrne paces it and gives you the the moment the the pauses and the beats in the story. I I got that pretty impressive. Before we leave that uh, dedication at the end of the the story, I have an odd uh, tie to it, an odd coincidence. Just at the time that we were going to record this, uh, we're delayed about a week from where we were going to record this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the um, what's the word that I want? The simulated uh, memorial wall is making its circuit through the Midwest, and it had been scheduled for last weekend here in the town that I live in, in Athens, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my ham radio um, club provided uh, some of the honor guard, uh, some of the communications. Anyway, nice. so the, the odd thing is we just had this display that he references in our town uh, for four days, and now it's elsewhere on the circuit. So it's just an odd coincidence. Have I, uh, any of you been to the actual memorial in D.C.? I have not. It's, no. it's impressive. It's, you know. Yeah, I've been there. It's, it's, something, it's moving. Yeah, and you're you're the only one of us. Uh, I assume I don't think you served heavy, Kirk. Uh, you're the only veteran among us, John. Seems well, like I'm not a military veteran, no. Um, but I lived through that period. I just wasn't in the military. I know I'm splitting hairs. One other thing: uh, the the artist that created the Vietnam Memorial is Maya Lin. I hope I got the name right. She's actually a resident of this town. She's uh, oh, highly cool. honored, highly decorated, and so whenever this thing comes around, her name is always linked to it. So that's another odd tie. Hmm. Interesting. Well, shall we uh, get into it? Yeah, because it it starts. I mean, it, this is a quick read. I was surprised that when I re because I had not read this since it came out in '87, and man, you you can breeze right through it because it, it looks like it takes place over couple hours just yeah just a few hours and and the front cover though i mean that's iconic there that shot um and and you look at at the 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 picture of blood sport standing there and he's firing off that weapon but the bandolero that he's got look at the detail and the cross hatching that burn has done on on that i mean it's just you know there was a lot of um, he he was driven. It looked like when he was drawing drawing this for some reason. Well, it's it very, is very uh, detailed. It's yeah. very three D. It's very Iron Fist like his uh, the cowl, yes. the, the do rag yeah, or yes. whatever he's wearing, um, which is really his only costume. He wears that, and the rest are just fatigues and a and a, like a black um, uh, tank t-shirt. top, but t shirt. Yeah. Um, do you guys get the impression that when he's and I never thought this, but he's teleporting this stuff in. Mm-hmm. Is it, is he teleporting it from someplace else or is it, he's just, whatever he thinks of is creating these weapons. No, it's, it's being teleported in from somewhere else. Okay. So these exist somewhere else. And he's like grabbing them from a warehouse or something. Right. Okay. I thought, yes. The maybe... kryptonite, uh, needle gun injector, whatever you want to call it. That, yeah. that clearly was pre-programmed that was, uh, created elsewhere. And that was his primary purpose, to use that against Superman. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the reason why he only used it once is because they had a limited amount of kryptonite. So once he once he did that, I mean, he, it may have had more than one shot in there because he went in for the kill, and then wound up dropping that gun. So there's a well, gun laying there in Metropolis that's got <laughs> kryptonite needle. Yeah. Well, and even that he could have shot him once. Covered. And Superman was weak enough that probably an ordinary gun would have killed him. So he didn't just have to Possibly, shoot him with yeah. another another kryptonite gun. Um, yep. But I like that loose plot thread there, Brian. I mean that that you somebody could pick that up. Literally the thread and and the gun and and uh, you know maybe a homeless person who's stumbling through the sewers and finds <laughs> the gun. I mean seriously, you know the right writer could run with that and develop it. Well, you gotta hope that when we, I mean, when all emergency services showed at that bowling alley, that they're gonna, you know, they're the the police are gonna take, you know, secure the area and get all the weapons away. Jimmy, of course, took one away from the scene, which probably got him some federal charges. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the the other gun, I'm sure, was recovered by by the police or whoever. Or or, or Luther could have his own team. You think he'd have a team out there grabbing some of this high tech stuff? Like a yeah. cleanup crew or something um, to to remove any evidence right. of his yeah, wrongdoing. Yeah, right. So let's let's take a look at on the first page, and um, now the the one thing I'll talk about one of the things I'll talk about here is is that I was looking at this three different ways. Um, I've got the original. I had to pull out my original book, um, original copy of the of, of the comic itself, because when I was looking at my scanned image. Uh, I felt that the colors were kind of really washed out and there was just a lot of gray tones in it. And I come to find out um, the comic was also kind of gray in a lot of image, you know, the, the, the images there, but uh, definitely not as washed out as the, um, the digital version. And then my trade uh, man of steel volume three has been recolored and brightened, but it seemed that everything that's gray is purple in, um, in that issue in that in that uh, trade so uh, you know so i'm looking at uh, in hembeck's burgers and of course you i mean you know they're they're in a like a mcdonald's type restaurant you can see the mother with the tray full of food and drinks and she's spilling stuff my favorite detail in this whole thing is the trash can that's full right there to the right in that very first panel Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then of course you if you look in the back you'll see uh, right above that you'll see hembeck's face uh, on the wall back there. Fred oh, Hembeck. good catch. That's yeah, Fred Hembeck, then, right? That's yeah, Fred yes. Hembeck, yeah. yeah. Is and the... I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. But yeah, the, the, even the Santa has got a little bit of Hembeck shape to it. Yeah. Is the kid... See the kid in the blue jacket that's with the mom? Yeah. Does that look like the fantastic car that he's got? Exactly. I was going to say that. I, I, I couldn't really tell because the kid looks like, too much like a kid version of Foggy Nelson. He well, does. He's, he's a he's a typical burned kid. He's he looks like a, a little person, but yeah, a homunculus. <laughs> That's good. But it yeah, it's definitely really really cold because everybody's in cold. And for some reason, uh, Lucy Lane has a, a a hairstyle that I would only think Todd McFarlane would draw. <laughs> that does look very McFarlane, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then of course you know Jimmy gets her down when the gunfire starts going off. Um, that, and the, the, go ahead. Oh, so that panel, the next page is the, I think the panel that I'm surprised got past the Comicos at this time because no blood, there's, there's no, no blood, blood, but you're seeing a, a child get killed, a priest 
course, yeah. uh, a worker, uh, it's the kid, I think, that, that would, uh, yeah, there, I mean, it's just lines going through them, but still, you know what's happening. Yeah, it's um, a pretty, pretty good representation without going over the edge. Yeah. Well, he's drawn very well, especially that that one worker that's kind of doubled over. Yeah. Like when, you know, that's what it's like getting, you know, and I'm sure these are like high speed rounds that are probably going through them before they realize what's happening. Um, and, and is that Peter Parker on the far right? No. <laughs> no, I know. I know. It's just it, it could be a Peter Parker character if you wanted it to be. Mm. And so you see Bloodsport there with holding two different guns while he's doing this. And that that weird banana clip on that one. Burn does and that it, a lot, yeah. With and and if you look on the motorcycle, of course, we don't ever see or hear from the motorcycle after this particular uh, bit. But that motorcycle's got to be around somewhere too. But look at the rockets yeah. that, are, that are mounted on the side of, the, of that that bike. Was that just teleported in for him? Unknown. I don't know. It can't. Unknown. It can obviously turn invisible. Because I it think does. these are dangling plot threads that somebody like Dan Slott or, or uh, you know, uh, Roger Stern should be be uh, submitting some uh, proposals. I gotta say, you or, know, the... or that new writer Brian Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my favorite detail on this whole page is the expression on Lucy's face, though, mm-hmm. because that is someone that is like so in shock and so, you know, terrorized, traumatized by something. But you can see, you know, the determination on Jimmy's face. That's and, and that says that he's actually been through some crap. Why does I got a question? Why does Jimmy have? Why does Jimmy have the watch? And why doesn't Lois Lane have one as well? Jimmy made that watch. He made his own watch. Oh, that's that Superman it, it, they, gave to him. They covered that either I think in World of Metropolis. Oh, okay. But yeah, no, Jimmy made it, and uh, he was in stuck in a situation, and he cobbled together the the signal from. Uh, parts and uh, you know it, it did call super you know Superman was like it, it hurt his ears kind of like you know, Lex Luthor's one did in, in the Superman movie yeah um, but yeah that's and then so that made it now you know and this is the 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 telling thing of course is that as Superman's coming down he says this better not be another flat yeah. tire yeah and that's just sad now as we look at this next page though look in the windows of course you you can see under Superman's uh, right arm there, there are people that are looking out the window at him to see him. But if you look on the other side of him, are those mannequins? And what yes. the heck is going on with that kid's yeah. head? It's a boutique. It's, yeah. Those are mannequins with very yeah. stylish dress. It That's makes me think of boutique. The, uh, yeah, what? it makes me think unique boutique. Yeah, but it makes me think of the potato tech potato sack clothes they made lucille ball wear on i love lucy in that in that one um but yeah and and of course this is uh superman drawn as a massive huge frame of a character and you know it's like i always preferred that one to what to what he started drawing him later years and i'm talking about when he was like doing action comics and generations superman was never quite this massive again or uh, the Justice League Tenth Circle storyline, or any of his other guest spots. Yeah. Guest spots. Well, it's kind of like the way he did with uh, Reed Richards. You know, when he was doing the early before he took over. When he was doing the early, he was kind of following on model. But when yeah, he, that he took over. Muscular, yeah, 
He was mm-hmm. much more, which he would be. He would be yeah. just kind of a lanky scientist. Look yeah. on uh, the page where Superman is first talking to Sawyer. Back behind his, there's a uh, a building or something called Cons. Yes, yeah. Jeanette Cons. <laughs> well, there, there's something else in this page too. Um, if you look in the very first panel on this page, you'll see Maggie Sawyer's walking up. This is the first appearance of Maggie Sawyer. And there's a guy behind her that's on a walkie-talkie, radio phone, whatever. And he's African-American. And, um, you know, you know, he just happens to be there. If you look in the Man in the Steel trade paperback, he's white. And I don't know why. I mean, it's just, you know, he's the same color as Maggie Sawyer, who's standing behind. Well, but, uh, yeah. The, his well, I'm wondering, I mean, if... When Burner is doing, or if any comic creator is doing this, and he's inking this, he and he's obviously drawing whatever kind of person he wants to draw. Mm-hmm. And does he have a discussion with the colorist to say, "Oh, this person is"? And I, I'm sure sometimes it's 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 obvious that this person is supposed to be Asian or black or whatever ethnicity they are. But for something like this, where it's it's kind of in the background, and there's not a lot of detail. Is that just left up to the colorist? He said, I'm going to make this a black guy. And then when he recolored it, that guy decided, I'm going to make him a white guy. So, I mean, who Probably. makes those decisions? I don't think it's it's a terribly significant thing. It's not. It's just interesting that that happens. I don't know if it's if it was done, uh, we talked earlier off air, if it was d- deliberately, or if it was no. just up to the whim of whoever's doing the, that, that version at that time. Um, I think it's a whim. Yeah. And then we get the, you know, to, to Brian's, but that is a good expression. And that, I love how he's left the rest of the, at the very bottom, when he sees this carnage, the rest of the, the panel's blank. He's kind of there by himself. He's got this grim look on his face. Um, and this may be like, you know, to what you said earlier, Superman has not come across this kind of stuff. He hasn't seen, um, and this is not. To what we said earlier, that, that mass shootings of this sort, I mean, as, as horrible as it sounds, haven't become common the way they are now. It was, you know, it would happen, but it wasn't, it didn't seem to happen with the rarity, of, I mean, the, the frequency it does now. And Superman would see this, and as a news reporter, maybe he would have seen some of this kind of carnage just as a news reporter, not as Superman, but as Clark Kent, he's probably reported on some horrific things, but... It's more the senseless killing of what happened. In fact, there's 25 dead in this, in this uh, uh, burger place. I would say he's more shocked. Yeah, he's shocked, but he's, I mean, he's kind of shocked. He's, I'm sure he's disgusted. He's, he's horrified. Yeah. He's, you know, and that seems to make him more determined ever to go after when he talks to, to to Sawyer about, oh, he's as good as caught, and he takes off in the air with kind of a, uh, a grim, uh, you know, uh, expression on his face that you know, he's determined to get this guy. Yeah. I, you know, do you read Superman as being just a little cocky, a little overconfident, maybe, not not knowing anything about this guy? Yeah. Very confident. He's, you know, he's as good as caught. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to charge in. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so. And that's, that's kind of the contrast when he goes up to him in the bone now and he gets shot. Yes. That he's yes. so like, oh, I've got this. Don't worry about it. Then suddenly he's, uh, and that's reinforced by the, you know, this is, a lot of this is kind of exp, uh, exp, expository heavy 
because it's mm-hmm. it's typical burn in this era of kind of explaining a lot of Superman's powers because the doctor says, oh, he's never experienced a gunshot before because he's invulnerable and we don't know how the, how his body's going to react to it and how he had uh, uh, he says he you know he knew he got all the fragments out because his invulnerability came back right away. Um, then they couldn't match his blood. They couldn't give him, you know, they couldn't give him any, he's lost a lot of blood. So, uh, I think that's burn explaining. This is what a person who's never experienced, uh, probably really experienced severe pain or trauma, how he would deal with it. On that fifth page, is it really necessary for the editor to add the definition of an APB as an all point bulletin? Oh, some kids may not know what that is. It may not be as uh, uh that's the kind of stuff I miss in my, in comics now. They don't give you those little editorials. Yeah, hey guys, I like I'm that. back. Oh, okay. sorry. My, my internet dropped on me. I'm so sorry. Well, we've had a really good discussion. We're down to page six now. Yeah, we're we're about to wrap it up. <laughs> you know, I, the thing is, there was something I wanted to point out back from page four, and I don't know if you guys care about this or not, but. Hey, the, the scene where Superman's walking into the the diner mm-hmm. and it's the, the shot from behind him as he's walking in. That one mm-hmm. always struck me as really familiar and I couldn't for a long time remember what it was. And then I was doing a reread of the last uh, issue of Superman Volume 1, 423. And that's the Alan Moore story with, with uh, Kurt Swan and George Perez doing the artwork. And it's where Bizarro's tearing up a restaurant and Superman's walking in, you know, and it's a shot from behind. He's like Bizarro, incredible, you know, mm-hmm. a similar kind of scene of Superman walking into Carnage. And uh, that, that just, you know, got me. Of course, the, the look on Superman's face without any background there, I thought that was appropriate. But, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Go ahead and uh, continue on. No, I think we're on, the, well, we were on yeah, the next page as we were talking about it, Kirk's comment that Superman seems to be a little cocky when he's taking off that uh, that Bloodsport's as good as caught. You know, he thinks he's going to. Well, the look on his face, I mean, that's rage. Yeah, he's, he's, he's yeah. upset, which I think that plays into him being a little, um, he's not cautious. He just kind of barges in. And then what, it's, it's similar what do you to. Think about this, what do you think about this using the residual heat image? And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back just a little bit. You know, when Superman flew into the scene, obviously it had been quite some time since the shooting happened, since Major Crimes Unit was already there, had the place cordoned off and all that. So, I mean, it's not like Superman got there within five minutes, ten minutes, just probably 30 minutes to an hour after it happened that he showed up. So obviously he, was, well, he could have been the other side of the world if he was, you know. Right, right. But how does a residual heat image last longer that than long? two minutes? <laughs> yeah. They had this problem back in the FF when Reed Richards whipped up a gizmo to show what had transpired when the thing's girlfriend had been kidnapped oh, in issue right, 65. Yeah. This hive, always yeah. crops up. It's it's just a little plot device to visualize for the, so the hero has a track to follow. Well, that's but I'll give it to the FF. That's more uh techno babble science this is just and i think what superman would be seeing is the trail but that right. doesn't look as cool as showing the actual 
the bike. You know, he'd say, see the yeah. the trail, yeah. and maybe because it's wintertime and it's cold, maybe it stands out more uh, than it would uh, than you know yeah. in summer. But yeah, well, that, that, I mean, and, and I understand that there, but it's just a just a thought, something that uh, crossed my mind when I was sitting there looking at that. And the next page, of course, is something I think we all have experienced at one time or another. Now, is Jimmy's car, is that a Carmen Ghia? No, it's not a car. Uh, it's a POS. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I think that's the point. It's pretty beat up. Um, it's two-tone. It's got an, an unmatching door and rear fender or rear uh, quarter panel. Oh, I thought that yeah. was light reflection. Oh, it is. That is. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, it's it's been pieced together. Yeah. This is. Uh, I'm su- I'm surprised it's not Herbie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I can't quite tell what the. Uh, it the would be Herbie. It'd be Wheelie. Ornament. Or Wheelie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised it's not Wheelie. Well, as we know from Superman the movie, uh, he only gets paid fifteen. Is it fifteen dollars a day? Or fifteen dollars? No, forty dollars. Forty dollars a week. You know, of course, you're not gonna be able to afford anything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, this is you see on page six. This is a, again Santa in the background, ringing his bell. Did you? Did any of you notice that that he's like on the first page? He shows up again here. I was thinking this was going to become significant. That this was. A recurring image and a recurring character that was going to pay off someplace. Well, no, the Santa on the first page was part of a standee with the Christmas trees in the restaurant. Well, it wasn't a that. real person. I didn't. Yeah, think. he's like a Salvation Army guy. He's a you know he's yeah. a typical. He's Santa. the guy out there that rings a bell. And oh, gives, okay, gives you're right. Time. You're right. Yeah. Well, on on page seven, which is the bowling alley scene, something, and maybe this is what you were talking about, Brian. I didn't notice this until this time. Bottom panel when Superman's got the bowling ball. He's floating. Yeah. He's not walking. Right. He's he's floating. That is really cool. Yeah, I had not noticed that myself. My favorite part of this whole page is the bowling ball in the second panel. The Where? bowling ball colliding with the other ones and cracking yeah. the Dang. one. Oh, I didn't notice it cracked. Again. Yeah, it's like croquet right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> now, if you look on the ground... Um, in the first panel, you've got a bunch of people on the floor, and they all got their hands over their heads, like you know they're in the the, the position there. But the guy sitting at the 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 one uh, table, table there, I think he's he dead. looks like he's done. I think yeah, he's, he's dead. dead. But yeah. the others do seem to be because you know it's funny in all the stuff I read, they only made the the body count twenty five, and that's because of what Maggie Sawyer said, and that was just before they digged out all the other bodies so his his body count should be a lot higher than they're saying it well, is uh later uh, uh uh luther says you know what's what's the you know maximum damage or whatever he says 40 50 so it sounds like he'd already heard that they had revised uh, yeah the body count so it may be but the wiki says i think he just it just reports that he killed 25 people but exactly yeah I feel this is very to your point, Kirk, about Superman going in kind of cocky. This to me feels a lot like in Superman the movie when Clark Kent gets this the little speech from Perry saying, you know, you need to be a little more aggressive, you know, show some more guts. So when he goes into Luther's headquarters, he is all cocky. You know, he pushes the door in, and he's like he's trying mm-hmm. to act all tough, and then he springs Krypton on him, and it's like, oh yeah, if you were thinking about trying to be such a tough guy you might have thought ahead so 
I get a little Good bit point. of that vibe here. Good comparison. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that at all. Now the uh, silent sequence on the next page, where they're so separated with between space, that's literally one end of the bowling alley from the other alley. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the space we're talking about here. But when is he still floating, or is he now starting to walk? It looks down like he's on. Alley. He looks like his foot is on the alley. So he doesn't think he's floating any further after that. But it doesn't matter because he covers the floor in an instant. Yeah, which is cool so that you don't see it. it. It's nice that it's just implied. So what's the what, the pacing of this? Is the first panel is his standoff. The second one is his his view. The third one is blood sport. The fourth one is the victim who's got a tear. She's nervous, obviously. And then we have the shot of the feet. What's the point of that shot of the feet that he's made his decision and is starting his move? It, or it that shows he's, him taking that first step. He's hesitating that, that he's going to. Yeah. No, he's, he's taking the first step, and that's what causes Bloodsport to start pulling the trigger. Yeah, he says, so, don't. Uh, yeah, uh, Clark shot first. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I noticed that the front cover has Bloodsport's gloves as red. And then the rest of the book, they're green or, or dark blue, olive. Yeah. yeah, they're kind of camo or, you know, they're, they're, uh, cause he's got, I don't know why he's wearing a sash. He's not wearing a belt. It looks like he's wearing a sash around his, uh, his waist. Yeah. Uh, cause it looks cool. And I always thought, wonder why Superman, when he, when he, he, you know, he kind of just, he looks like he's hitting him pretty hard. He kind of thumps him. Uh, and he, why doesn't he, uh, destroy the gun. He tosses it away, and obviously it's so that Jimmy, evidence. Well, it's evidence, and Jimmy can get it later. You know, but yeah. you know, crimple the barrel or something so that he can't use it. Um, and then I that, like how the people are starting to scurry away. Yeah, there. Uh, there's a few. Th there are a few on the there on the floor that are not that I think have been not shot. Than... But um, and that bottom panel where you first get him kind of teleporting in the. The uh, the kryptonite gun, it looks like he's got a handle. So I'm wondering, yeah. if, does he hold it? Does he have like a uh, an uh, a handle that will attach to whatever gun he teleports in, or does he get the whole gun? I think he gets the whole gun. I, I, well, I mean, I, I, I it's hard to say because that's the only time they show the handle, right? And something coming in, where other times it seems like the guns that come in. Um, are completely different configurations. They wouldn't use a handle like that. Yeah. Well, obviously, you'd have to have more than one handle because Superman takes his gun away, throws it, and then he must grab but another. But I, I think what that was was that one right there was like basically what he had to do to pull out the kryptonite gun. Yeah, maybe. Maybe the Whereas yeah, all the others. It's just kind of showing the slow panel progression as it, as it materializes. Yeah. That could be it. It could be that the whole yeah. thing materializes in his hand. Um, what did you think of his line, um, just uh, the panel above there, where he says, go climb your thumb, superhero? <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> Gee, I can think of a couple other expressions that, that he might have used, but uh, I've never heard that one before. Well, I think that's it's. I think we're to imply he that's said something worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, uh, you know like go okay. and shove it, you know, or something like that. Or, um, right. But he, there is some questionable language. There's something else that would not fly. Because he says, he calls him Charlie at one point, which I'm sure that's considered derogatory. And he calls him 
does he call him the Khan or Viet Cong or the he says something when we fought the, the Khan he goes you'd be eating rice patties uh, yeah so that's kind of typical you know 80s language that would well he says you'd be eating rice cakes today rice cakes yeah so it, that would not that wouldn't go over today but um, um, why I always do you get the, the impression when he's shooting Superman that he purposely shoots him in the shoulder or Superman dodging because why would he shoot him in the chest or the face? Well, the the thing is, Superman's motion is all based on in, in that panel looks based on him getting shot. Right. There's right. not any kind of motion lines that says he was trying to go left or right or whatever. So why should just, he? He thought he yeah, was invulnerable. You're yeah. seeing the moment of and after him getting shot rather than the moment that you know before he gets shot where he would be trying to move. Well, um, and maybe it's because because uh, uh, Bloodsport laughs and says, "Not so smug now." So maybe he's trying to make a point, like he doesn't want to kill him right off. He wants him to kind of glow, yeah, and then he'll. He kind of wants to, like a cat, play with his prey and exactly. Yeah, be able and to. And then say. he goes in, and and the thing is, there's been several times where Byrne has used the "Say Goodnight, Gracie." In fact, didn't he use that in the Man of Steel, the the issue with Magpie? Maybe. I think I think I, I'm did. wondering how many kids nowadays would even know what that means. Exactly. <laughs> what means? Say goodnight. Say goodnight, Gracie. Oh. I mean, you're old enough to have watched that on TV yourself, haven't you? Didn't you? No, no. I'm making I'm making a joke. <laughs> no, it's a little. It's well, just a little before my generation, but Brian Kirk used I to listen it. to them on the radio. Yeah. Yeah, that was more of a radio <laughs> phenomenon, okay. I think. So here's Jimmy. Now pulling the pulling the the big gun out, and if you were any kind of terrorist or whatever, and Jimmy pulled that up and held it like he did, which that's the stupidest way to hold a weapon like that, because you don't want the recoil to go right into your body. The recoil go right to, if if there's any recoil to it at all, it take it right through his chest. Right. Well, but uh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say Bloodsport should have done the old trope of. Oh, the safety's on. And that distracts Jimmy, and then he pulls the gun out and shoots Jimmy. Yeah, I still like that. He goes, I bet you don't even know how to use that gun. Maybe not, but I'm betting all I have to do is pull the trigger. Yeah, and he goes, at the, you know, at this range, I probably don't even have to aim that hard. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, of course, Bloodsport's got one hand behind his back. And look at the, the design of that kryptonite needle gun. That's just... It's beautiful. Well, I mean, it still looks like a kid's toy. A kid's toy mm -hmm. rather than a regular gun. Well, because those fins on the side. Being but, I mean, all the all difference. the guns that, that he pulls out are just modified. I mean, they basically could stand in for Nerf weapons today. With, you know, how, <laughs> oh, exactly. How they, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, Jimmy might have picked that, uh, that needler up, too. When he took the big gun in, he might have picked that one up and maybe, so maybe the FBI has both of them. That that doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs> well, well, somehow, okay. well, Luther you know would, Luther would get it back somehow because he's got he's that powerful. He would get it back, or you know, he's yeah. not going to waste his kryptonite. He's got so li precious little of it. So, so Superman's so, in the top panel. He's been wounded. He's holding his hand to his shoulder. Why doesn't he turn around with his laser vision and heat vision and just cook blood sports feet? Or slice him off at the he knees. Doesn't have the strength, or uh, it, it, when, when Luther brought up Kryptonite Superman two issues previously, 
he said, you must feel right now like you've got razor blades in your stomach. You're weak, you know, barely able to stand. I mean, basically what he's saying is that is the worst pain ever. Now, I'll tell you, as a person that's had kidney stones, when yes. that's going on, you can't – when you've got that kind of pain going on, you cannot focus to do anything. Anything else, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, didn't so, Superman say that when Darkseid hit him with his Omega Beam, he said, compared to Kryptonite, this is like nothing. That kryptonite, yeah. you know, is, I guess the most – the most painful thing is it drives all the solar radiation out of his cells or whatever, whatever it does to him. But, um, I think this is cool because in the next page with the doctor, this is more burn exploring and explaining how Krypton, uh, how Superman's powers work that, uh, you know, once they got the stuff out of it, his vulnerability came back and then he had to have, and he had to actually expose him to more of it just so he could suture, uh, the wound. Yeah, and uh, that is a huge violation of HIPAA laws right there. But then again, this is 1986, and they weren't using HIPAA back then. Oh, by him talking to, to basically... A non-family or you know guardian-type situation. Yeah, you, you don't just talk to anybody. Now, if Jimmy, if it had been like Maggie Sawyer, I could see them talking to, to her about Superman's condition. But just a, a reporter for the Daily Planet... Especially I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you figure that every reporter in Metropolis would be there right now. Superman's been shot waiting for, you know, the, the, the television thing. And is that supposed to be Marv Wolfman behind the doctor? Oh, I can't. It's just, I or don't know. Could be Roger Stern, I guess. Yeah, it's closer to Stern, I think, but yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. Or Gary Cody. Uh, you know, looking at, at Jimmy Olsen in this particularly in the fifth panel, I could see that figure very easily being Maggie Sawyer, the way that he's posed with, with uh, the leg raised. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying that it, it, maybe this was originally drawn to be... Uh, Sawyer? Maybe, or the, that it got revised. I don't know. No, It doesn't it, seem it, to go it, anywhere. It could Either one, it's exposition, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, now, how do you like the wrap that they put on Superman around that? Again, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know if that's the kind of wrap that I guess. someone I don't that's know. been hey, shot. Beefcake like City, that. man. <laughs> Wouldn't he have like a sling on the on the on his left arm? <laughs> no, he has alien physiology. He just said that in the panel yeah. above, you know, directly above there. Yeah, yeah, and and they established that. Uh, well, look at the when he's getting his boots on. Look at the. Is that like an X-ray of him behind on the wall, or is that just an anatomy no, chart? That's, it's just that's an anatomy just chart. An anatomy chart, yeah. Um, anatomy chart, yeah. That we obviously he doesn't have his his blood is not compatible with human blood because they couldn't match it. Um, no, no, excuse me, no surprise there. But it's kind of interesting. It looks like they're right by oncology because if you look in the the third panel. You'll yeah. see what looks like ology there, and yeah. that's definitely not radiology. So it's and probably it says oncology. ICU, ology, ICU. So that's biology, biology. Uh, no, because that's that's not an I there before the O. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, it, it is. Really? It might be physiology. Where did where did they shoot? They're supposed to be oncology. How? Where did they shoot Superman? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's kind of a, yeah, I mean, if there's anything you think they'd have anything by the ICU, it'd be radiology. True. Yeah. Well, the that's arts. also where, where who who disposed of these uh, fragments of kryptonite? I'm Another sure turn question. I'm, I'm sure they turned them over to the authorities, and again, I bet somehow they wound them back up with Luther. He's got that kind well, of pull that he's or got. Amanda Waller. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or the doctor just keeps it so that he can. Uh, that's right. Exact revenge at some point. Or anytime he needs okay. to work on Superman, he's just I got to pull this out so I can weaken him, so I can you know. Yeah. Get the sliver so out of him, or cut his toenails, or whatever he has to do. You know. Let's go to the next page here. Um, <laughs> now this is an incredibly interesting page for a number of reasons. Of course, it's in Lex Luthor's laboratory, there, and you've got. The one scientist that feels like he can talk smack to Lex. And uh, if you're looking at the Man of Steel trade, he blows purple smoke out of his pipe. <laughs> well, it's, a I mean, it's the same color as his hair, just about. Well, in the comic it is, but in the trade paperback it's not. His um, hair's gray, but the the pipe smoke is purple. purple. This is kind yeah. of mine. It's kind of a purpley gray, but it's a, a kind of a generic. It's kind of the background color that you're using for... Uh, a lot of this, I will say, for 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 supervillain schemes, uh, and Luther's supposed to be a pretty smart guy. This seems awfully irresponsible to think. Yeah, I can take uh, a possibly unstable uh, Vietnam vet, give him high tech weapons, and yeah, I think he'll do what I want him to do. He won't go off the rails and you know follow his own you agenda. Know, so I. <laughs> You know, the thing is, is like, you know, five years ago, I would probably agree with you on that statement. But I, I find every action, every word out of Luther's mouth in all this reminds me of somebody. And I'm not going to say who, but that they would profile make every person. one of the yeah, they would make every one of these mistakes hmm. that Luthor does make. And he may have. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, that's so, I, you know, again, uh, every action of Luther under John Byrne is incredibly realistic. Well, the only thing I can that I can buy into, because I know he's he's always written Luther is he takes pains to make sure that what if something goes wrong, there's no way to connect uh, Luther to it. And right. Uh, so that. Bloodsport doesn't even know that Luther is part of this. He doesn't know who his contact man is. Uh, yeah. and that's how Luther wants it. But I would think that as, as precious as, as kryptonite is, that he would entrust this guy with... I mean, wouldn't it make more sense to give it to a sniper and wait till Superman... It cause something, have Superman show up and have the guy snipe him from a building? Instead of, uh, you know... I mean, obviously, we don't know what his plan was because... He didn't know that he was going to shoot up a, a burger joint in order to attract. We don't know right. if he was told you need to track Superman and then ambush him. You know, we don't know. He went off. You know, he went off the rails. And um... well, it seems like Luther's thing is always he wants Superman to made be made to look like he's a fool before he's destroyed. So I think this is just like he did. Yeah, he could have just hired somebody to snipe him and take him out. But this way, um, people will see that Superman was actually taken out. Right. By it, it, right. Person. He, doesn't, he doesn't want him just dead. He wants to kind of. He wants, to he wants everybody exactly. to know that he did it. He wants everybody to know that he did it, but for it not to get back, you know, him not to, you know, 
get well, he doesn't want, no he doesn't want the public to know he did it he wants to know uh i think it's it, I, to john's point i think it's not so much that he wants superman dead he wants to tarnish the image of superman and kill him mm-hmm. um which is a little I, bit like the jesse eisenberg luther from uh batman v superman i'm gonna have to quote something here to um, going all the way back to Man of Steel issue number four. One day, very soon now, you're going to die, Superman. You're going to be destroyed, and you'll know who's doing it. Everyone in Metropolis will know, but no one will ever be able to prove it. I'll not be arrested, Superman. Not ever again. That I mean, that that's word for word what he said in that issue. Basically, I'm going to kill you. You and everybody are going to know that I did it, but you won't be able to prove it. Yeah, and that feeds into, I think that reinforces the huge ego that Luther has. and that Right, up but until... here, the way that Bloodsport's doing this, you know, they're, they're really tying it back to Luther, it is virtually impossible, obviously, because nobody ever did. But, I mean, does anybody know that Luther, you know, is the one that had this guy do that? Well, Back it probably never matters. comes soon. Because then Luther sends in his like yeah. cleanup crew, uh, to, and then Superman says that you know he's he's uh, everybody thinks that he's a you know he's a good he's a good guy because he's creating the problem, then he's cleaning it up, that sort of thing. So well, maybe half the people think he's a good guy. Well, right. Well, I'm sure there are people that <laughs> <laughs> the people that work with him know what they're doing, but they don't care because they're obviously this scientist doesn't care. He's either in it for the money or Hey, look, I, I'm that guy has got cojones like just <laughs> of an unimaginable size. The way he is sitting there talking to Luther, the way he lights that pipe right up in front of Luther and tells him basically, this is your fault. Yeah, I like that. I warned you. Uh, that's like telling Doom, Doom, I told you. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. I think Doom, you know, Luther's not quite as on the uh, on the level of Doom that if you speak one thing to doom he's just gonna have a doom bot kill you but um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um yeah. yeah yeah going to the the next page though of course Bloodsport is shooting up and he's got two two got well one of them looks like a ryobi power drill but the other one does, still yeah. looks like yeah <laughs> but but you know the other one of course is it's got the banana clip on it and seems to be shooting off um uh, you know, some very powerful rounds it's like a and he's screaming in the air. This is just the, the screaming and shooting and the posturing that you would see, see him doing. I really like though, the, the, the position that Superman is in after he lands on the ground, you can see, and he even says that landing had all the grace of a wounded duck. Yeah. And you, you can see he, he is so uncomfortable there, but you know, that this does raise the question. And I think we answered it earlier. Why doesn't Bloodsport bring in more kryptonite weaponry? Well, I think it just has to be because he was limited. Because there isn't a lot yeah. uh, of it, and uh, he may have obviously we thought he had at least two shots in the uh, the thing, and maybe and he, he kind of blew it. Yeah. Right. I think it's kind of kind of stupid for Superman to say what he says, though. He goes, "You think you can handle the job of fighting me without cheating this time?" Or is it your idea of a fair fight to inject your opponent with a, a plague virus? It's not like Superman gives anybody a fair fight because he outpowers everybody 10,000 to one. <laughs> well, and yet well. he's sitting there talking about him cheating. 
Superman is a walking, talking cheat code. <laughs> well, let's back up a page for a second. I want to go back uh, to the, the panel where they have the purple smoke coming out of the pipe. Yeah. Um, does Luther have the kryptonite ring at this point? Yeah, it's it's yeah, on his, see it yeah, on, it's his on the lower hand. Okay. Does he have something in the upper right hand that, that tends to be fending off the smoke? No, I think no, that's the guy's right hand. hand is not there. That's the, the, the Dr. Kimberly's hand as he's lighting his pipe. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Got it. Okay, thanks. Let's yeah. keep going. Sure. 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 Well, I, I think uh, Lee Superman seems to be playing it smart because he's trying to to uh, uh, taunt Bloodsport into fighting with conventional weapons, which he knows are not. At least he, he's not at this point not sure because he doesn't know of his vulnerability. And obviously, it's affecting him more. He's he's taking some damage. Um, yeah. The, but uh, he, yeah, and the next page is he's taking damage. I, it's funny. I as I look at that bottom image on page fifteen, does that look like a Mike Zek page? Uh, Mike Zek image. The with Superman getting shot. Yeah, it does. Yeah, he looks a little. He looks a little Zek like. Very yeah. Zek. Yeah, he's uh, Zek. Zek. <laughs> Zexy. It's very Zexy. 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 All right. The next panel at the top of the next page where Superman's on the ground and the, the figure of Bloodsport's behind the flames but is blacked out. Is that not a recreation of the cover of the first issue of this yep. series? When as Metallo's... well as a panel from it. Yeah. Meta that's what I thought. It's very Mattel-like with Superman on the ground and, and it, the figure in the back. Yeah, the fact of the matter is not only does it show up there in that, in that issue, but it also shows up in legends it's the flash that uh, the wally west flash that uh experiences something that has him knocked down like that in in a very similar position oh yeah so yeah but uh you know i mean he can homage himself can't yeah, he? Well, he, you know, why, you know, if something works why why not does it, it all the time I, yeah. I will say i do love all of this weapons fire and that sounds terrible but the way he's drawn the the with the on the bottom panel with the little uh whatever they are, little rockets or missiles or whatever they're coming out. And then the next page in the middle where it's just this flare of, I think it's a Gatling gun or whatever it is. And it just looks like it's just it's uh, like everything at once. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I love the way he's drawn all of this, uh, this, the, the, the power. I mean, that, that's, uh, um, that's just cool. Mm -hmm. And the the panel below with the purple where he gets hit by the missile is looks very uh, X Men era. With the, which which panel? The bottom one where it says incoming. Bottom sixteen. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that looks very uh, the the purple explosion and all the the rubble or whatever. It's almost like Kirby. It's almost his version of Kirby Crackle. It's kind of um, yeah debris or whatever. But that looks like something he would they would draw with Austin. Yeah, I see that. I see that. Now the next page where you see the tank. How did the tank get that close without anyone hearing it? Well, I want to know how it got down the streets. If this yeah. is supposed to be like New York, those streets aren't wide enough. Think, think with all the fighting and all the rockets and explosions, that it would probably be pretty easy for it to sneak up at the time. And they're focused on each other. But uh, yeah, getting it through the streets of New York or Metropolis, that's probably like should be as crowded and busy as New York. Well, I, you know, again, if they're able to tell, if Luther is able to teleport weaponry to Bloodsport, yeah, he should also be able to teleport the tank. 
That's yes. true. And crew yeah. into place. True. Yeah. Well, and that raises another question that if he is supplying Bloodsport all his high tech stuff, you think as a fail safe, he would be somehow waiting to shut off his teleportation device or deactivate all the weapons instead of having to send his goons out to actually kill him. You know, you've got control of this stuff. Just turn it off. Oh, except if his tank and his people move in and eliminate the uh, yeah, it makes problem like the that embarrasses yeah. Superman. Uh, you notice the tank has a license plate number, mm -hmm. LC-171. LexCore-171. Yep. Well, that's good. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Well, does that Luther is... have the... Does he have permission from either the government or the city or the state to kind of have to deploy kind of like a private security force. Yeah. Well, he has a I'm, private arrangement with president Reagan. It was well known. But <laughs> and he also had a, a, a working relationship with the mayor, um, yeah. you know, up, up, up to that point where he got arrested. So probably, and that's only, I, I don't know how long, I guess. Yeah. It's been definitely been several years cause he hadn't shaved his head yet. Yeah, but uh, you know, you don't know that 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 got changed. I mean, Luther's still got a lot of power. Yeah, and can and can push you know a lot of people if he needs to to get the ability to do this. Well, it's like Stark, I guess. Stark was a private mm -hmm. company, but he could deploy probably I, if he needed to. I do love that moment where Superman is lifting up the concrete, lifting up the street to to push Bloodsport over. It reminds me of the Avalanche. From yeah, the X-Men. It does. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he sees him teleport in another weapon. And he realizes he teleported it in. Here's the, the funny thing, though. So he sees him bring in this weapon and blow up the tank, which that was really cool, by the way. Uh, and so at that point, he does his heat vision thing. Well, Bloodsport still has that weapon. And that weapon should still be functioning unless it was a one-shot weapon and that's why he had to teleport in the other guns which dissolved well that's true it looks like he drops it but then he 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 has the, the handgun come in it, it does like... fire like a bazooka because it's got the huge you know exhaust out the back of it mm -hmm. it may be a one yeah it could be yeah. a, you know if he can teleport it but maybe he can you think he'd be able to teleport just ammo into it instead of uh having to teleport because he seems to throw these guns away well, he doesn't use them. So these guns are littered all over, all over the place. Yeah, I get the impression they're one shot, one use yeah. guns. Yeah. Now the other thing, of course, is that you know after you know the guy's guns turn to powder, Superman gives him a little flick of his his hand. He needs to use a little bit more force and knock these guys out, because that way you don't have happen what's about to happen. And that's Bloodsport reaching for the Dead Man switch. Well, something like that should knock a human out because, I mean, look at how far back. This is the yeah. second shot he's taken from Superman, and he's yeah, still he'd be conscious. He would be yeah. concussed. But and this is also well, typical of a lot of uh, burn stories, at least with Superman. That and, and one thing I like about that is sure Superman is using his brain. He's not just. Uh, raw force going in there and pounding mm -hmm. people that he's using you know he's smart and burn would do that a lot he would kind of get a, a kind of a, a mystery like what's you know how's he doing this and then superman figures it out and then he does something clever to to fix it 
or or, or uh, stop it or, or deactivate it or whatever he does. And that's yeah. that's uh, you know so many times people would just treat Superman as his muscle. That's all he is, and then not like no, he's got a brain too, but he's probably pretty smart, so he can figure he has you know. A brain. <laughs> he can well, like he's I, like I, you know. I have another question here in in all of this. You know, when Bloodsport shot him, he shot him with a kryptonite needle. How big was that needle? Because nowhere in any of the pages after that can you see a hole in his costume up there around his shoulder. It looks like the costume is pretty much in tatters. Now, it's tattered when, and torn in some shots. Well, and, and the thing is, the one shot where he's down on the ground, like the, the one that we said reminded us from issue one, um, yeah. it looks like he's got a number of holes in his costume. And that would make sense that the weaker Superman gets, the weaker his aura gets. And right. therefore, his costume can get tears and, and whatnot. We've, we've discussed that um, several times. But after the uh, incident is over, Superman's costume is back intact i think this is more other stuff that's other detritus that is going around because that you know i, I don't think it's holes in the costume because the costume doesn't self-heal but if you, you think look that at, it was just miscolored mud that was supposed to be splattered against him I, I think that that's that's the case because you don't see any holes on superman's costume uh in the last few frames that you do where you you get a you know certain shots of him now, obviously, you're not seeing everything. He mended but... it while he was healing in the hospital. Yeah, yeah they set it up. His, yeah. he yeah. always keeps a sewing kit in the tape. Yeah. yeah, but the left, his left arm shows. You know, the costume shows completely intact, whereas in that one frame, it looks like he got torn in several places. So that's got to be something else. Altogether. I think uh, if you look at. It, I think you're right. Whoever said it was mud or debris or something, I think that's what yeah. it is. It's just that's what bits it of is. bits of dirt or something. But his obviously his his cape is in tatters and he's got some, you know, he looks, you know, okay. Kind of scuffed now, up. In regards to Ro uh, Robert, uh, blood sports, brother, Mickey, is he using the same wheelchair? The guy uses in Batman V Superman. No, that one's that one. Well, that looks, that, no, looks a lot like it. If it was Brian, then the other guy would be using the same chair as his because this came first. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. This is a pretty high, pretty high tech chair for. Uh, yeah. I don't think some existed like how that. This, how does this compare to the chair that Box uses? Or um, is his name Roger Box? And Al, and he Alpha just had a wheelchair, didn't he? Because he had he had his arms. He just was missing his legs. You're right. Um, but I thought he had just a regular wheelchair. Um. What do you guys think of that when, you know, the, the big reveal here and you, you see is um, Mickey, who is the the one that went to Vietnam, not Bobby. Uh, and when uh, uh, Jimmy is giving the backstory that that he ran away, mm -hmm. he's basically calling uh, Bobby a coward. He ran to Canada yeah. as draft yeah. dodger and that Bobby for some reason felt that he had to take his place because either he thought the war was right or he needed to go. Why did he take his place? He didn't want his brother to go to jail, probably. Well, yeah, if he went as if he went to, to war as as his brother, you know, faked his his identity or whatever it was, uh, 
than Wide was. But you got to also got to understand, young men at those times, you know, were very impressionable. And when you had, I mean, just watch like the the first thirty minutes of Born on the Fourth of July, when uh, Tom Berenger goes in there as a Marine talking to the boys in high school, and he's filling them all with you know all that stuff that you know gets the men gets the young men like oh, I'm going to be a man, I'm going to go Rally do this. Yeah, well, if this was written in the seventies, I would say yes. But this is this takes place in eighty seven, right? Are, are you and, thinking that that Mickey felt that his but his with his brother being going to Canada and avoiding going to the draft, that mm-hmm. Mickey thought he felt betrayed by his brother, and he thought I'm going to go. You're running away as a coward. I'm going to go. Uh, either he, either he wanted to take his brother's place so his brother wouldn't get in trouble or he bought into all the rhetoric then about about what was going on over there about the commies about everything and so he he went to went to do something about it that many young men felt the need to do well, that's what i'm saying did he feel that his was he if he looked up to his brother because because he's a younger brother if he looks up to his older brother and his older brother runs away to uh you know, which is I think is odd that that Jimmy calls him. Um, what he said he was a uh, he calls him a coward, doesn't he? Um, he said he was because he ran because he was afraid. Yeah, because he was afraid. He, he didn't use the word coward though. Okay, but say but he says he ran because he was afraid. Right. Instead of, I think if this were written today, he'd be like, no, he felt the war was unjust and it was not right and. He wasn't going to do that. Again, why it doesn't work today is we haven't had the draft since Vietnam. Well, that's and, true, but I yeah. think I think it's still I, as much as I I don't like decompressed storytelling. I think this really needs some a, like a a two or three issue exploration of this instead of just of a one and done because it's kind of it's kind of giving us talking points, but we're not really getting into what it means. Why did he? You know what? You know, why did his brother go? Because this guy shows up at the very end. He's in two pages. You never see him again. Uh, you know, obviously, it's the, his brother goes to jail for it. Um, but I just, I just, I mean, this raises a lot of questions that I kind of wanted explored more, and we don't get it in this one, this one uh, issue. Well, the, the, yeah, and, and the thing that we find out later, of course, is that Bloodsport does wind up. Going to prison, so at some point he is cured of whatever psychosis or, or you know the the, the the all this that's going on in his head that he is you know at least works it out and then is able to go to prison to be amongst the other prisoners rather than some psychiatric place. Which I think in truth he'd be like he would probably be like a Manson guy. He would uh, he would go to jail, but he would always be in some type of. Um... Or being a place like Belle Reve. Right, hey, or Belle Reve. or something. <laughs> he would, uh... Now, what do you think about the in the the very last image on the last page? The the outlining of the buildings is almost, you know, gives it almost a stony or a Minecraft-y kind of look. Mm-hmm. And then black smoke rising up from it. Well, I got the image. Of, it sort of evokes gravestones. Uh, to me, but I didn't really think about it until you mentioned it. This is what a good fifteen years before nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there wasn't an attack on the World Trade Center until 
uh, what, 92, 93, the first one. So yeah. the only other attack that you've got prior to that is King Kong back in 77. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is not King Kong. Yeah. Nice try. Well, they, they talk several times about it being uh, it being over because when uh, Mickey shows up, he says, that's that's all finished, Bobby. We, we lost that one, and now America just wants to forget. We want to forget, Bobby. Please let it in. In other words, stop. You know, it's what happened to me is either not your fault. It's you need to let this go. And then later, at the very last, he says, and well, now I guess uh, now that that damn war is finally over for both of them. Uh, yeah, but it's, like, but, it's not mean, that easy. Did we did we really want to let it go? I mean, what year did Rambo First Blood Part Two come out? Eighty five. Was it eighty five? I looked it up so... just for that reason. <laughs> OK, because I, I thought this, I thought this is very yeah. heavily. Um, and 80, part three came out in 89 or 88. So this is right in the middle of the, <clears throat> I mean, this is right in the middle of the Rambos and all of those. Missing in action. Miss, exactly. Yeah. The, the Vietnam era. <clears throat> now it would be, obviously he would Iron be. Iron Eagle too. Yeah. Iron Eagle 12. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He would, uh, he would be a Top Gun. War, oh my gosh. Yeah. Hey, you guys uh, noticed up there, remember you were asking, what happened to the guns in the bowling alley? Well, Jimmy picked them up and took them to the police station, he says on the top panel. Yeah. Well, he took them to the FBI. Or the FBI. So and, he picked and, up and the that, guns. That right, yeah, that right there is, is kind of, okay, FBI. I mean, I guess, you know, you want to trace all that, I guess, that, that makes sense. But uh, it's just kind of, kind of weird. Oh. I, you figure just go to the police. But... FBI does have the best back then. The FBI had the best uh, fingerprint catalog, but matching a fingerprint back in 1986 was still an incredibly time-taking chore. And we got to figure that 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 this all takes place during one day, basically from somewhere around noon because they were having lunch. Till who knows when this you know when this happened over the course of maybe four or five hours, and yet in all that time, Jimmy was able to get the fingerprints checked and you know cross matched. Maybe Maggie Sawyer pulled a few strings and got it expedited. Uh, maybe That's so. Possible. That's a possibility. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Crazy. All in all, though, I mean, it's it's a really good issue on a number of fronts. I mean, again, this is, um, it's not Carl Kessel's first work with Superman cause he's done, he did that in legends, but really, you know, this, this is where that marriage that they had. And it's, again, it wasn't as long as, as his marriage with guys like Terry Austin or, uh, Keith Williams or others would last. But, uh, I mean, you know, Carl Kessel's inks on, uh, John Byrne are as good as any of the best inkers in the business. Yeah, it's nice. This is a really beautiful, beautiful work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's a, it's a quick read. It's it's uh, again my only quibbles with it are, I mean one Bloodsport's kind of a, a forgettable villain. He, and he nothing really comes of him, and I just thought some of the some of the heavier messaging could have we could have. Uh, I mean I don't want a twelve issue mini run on this, <laughs> but. Mm -hmm. Maybe two issues where you know where uh, we find out, like at the end of the first issue, well, he never went to Vietnam. 
and that's the cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And then we yeah. find out at the other one where Bobby or Mickey comes in and, you know, they have their little, um, yeah. Now, what did you think about um, in the, the one page where he's talking about the dead man switch and Byrne keeps closing in on his face and he finally gets to his eyes and there's skulls. Well, I think he's maybe he's ready to die. He's ready to die. You know, he's got a. Um, yeah. And this is, I, again, to draw comparisons, this is similar to the, the end of First Blood where Troutman comes up and confronts Stallone and says, mm-hmm. it's over, Johnny. You know, it's over. And, and he's like, no, it's never over. And he goes in that big speech. Everybody about, just wants to forget it. Yeah. Right. I can't, you know, you know, I've come back and I get spit on and I can't hold a job because I'm screwed up and it's not over for me. Uh, and then he says, well, you know, basically you've heard a lot of people, you know, you've got to kind of come with me. So that, that's kind of what I think Mickey is doing here. It's like, you need to, uh, cause, uh, doesn't Superman say something about that wrong war or, uh, no useless war because his surrender and will find a doctor to help you get over the uh the hell you went through in that useless war so at least superman in that panel is a little more sympathetic that this guy needs yeah. help he doesn't need to be punched out he needs to be helped and then blood sports like no i'm gonna you know i'm gonna blow us up we're all getting messages messaged by uh david right now so what's he okay. say Oh, he's Suicide saying Squad. the movie Good. finished was interrupted by the youngest overall fun movie, 3.5 out of 4 out of oh. 50. <laughs> out of 5. Out of 50? Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's high praise. <laughs> We're talking about you. Anyway, uh, but again, still, you know, I mean, this is, you know, that, that period where Byrne has just taken over the book. He's just bringing us into Superman's universe and instead of you know i mean the the first issue brought in metallo who is a one and done kind of villain even though he's been around a long time then you've got the 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 legends crossover with uh well you got luther doing it trying to figure out who superman is and then ignoring it and then you have the dark side the legends crossover the apocalypse and all that and then the fourth issue is a villain that a brand new villain, something we've never seen before. And you're like, well, where are all Superman's other villains? The ones that we all know, where's Brainiac? Where's, you know, just, you know, all these guys that he's fought over the years. Where, where's, what's that guy from Zardoz? Uh, Sean Connery. <laughs> I'll say Zardoz. Sean Connery. <laughs> well, the, the, in, in the, yeah, there he is. Vartox. God, that was the ugliest costume Ever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, the the thing is, is that you know, you're wondering when is Byrne going to sit there and bring in all these other, all these other characters that that we knew, and then you know, he he does Bloodsport here in issue four, issue five and six was a completely different uh, uh, villain, brand new villain. Issue seven was the introduction of Rampage, and I mean, she's a brand new. Yeah. Well, I don't think he wanted to either. He didn't want to retread old stuff, or I hate to say it, you know, if he creates characters, he gets, you know, mm-hmm. more money for that. If he creates yep. original stuff instead of bringing in old stuff, I'm sure he wanted to do, um, his old thing. And the problem with Bloodsport is, I think you couldn't. If you bring him back, what can you do with him? You can't. He's yeah, not. Right. A, a, he's not a uh, like Metallo, who's who's driven to create carnage and kill people he's 
you know, he's killing for a reason that's very close, that is very relatable to people. You know, this is not just, oh, I'm a, I'm a maniacal bad guy. So you can't, yeah. if he comes back, he can't be going on a killing spree again. You can't really do anything else with him. Yeah, you'd, you'd think that he would take a different tactic, probably a bomb. And when Superman shows up on site, then he snipes. Yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, like, it, it, when you sit there and you look at this run, he doesn't go up against a Superman villain again until issue 10, which was a Lex Luthor trick. Uh, well, I mean, issue nine had a Luthor story and the Joker story, but again, that's a Batman. And then finally issue 11, you get to mix a plick and then the Lori Lamar story after that. And then was it the toy man toy man? And then really there, yeah, the, the, then you have a millennium crossover. Now the biggest, villain really he comes that are classic villains or zod in his last story arc zod and mm -hmm. um his minions right so, and luther i mean he he really kind of changed superman's universe and in, in a way he made superman's universe a lot smaller and it felt small compared to what you had from the silver age or the bronze age you know that that was so wide sweeping that all over the galaxy, everybody knew who Superman was. Well, I think that goes hand to hand with him kind of lower, <clears throat> depowering him. So right. That he doesn't have. He's more. <clears throat> again, you know, it's, he's just started out. I mean, this is maybe five years after he's, you know, revealed himself to the world. And yeah, he's not not yet, you know, gotten his name out far and wide. Yeah. So, Did yeah. you find anything? I looked. I couldn't find anything on Burn Robotics about this, really. Uh, and maybe he doesn't really talk about it. He really doesn't talk about it much, and people don't ask questions about it that much. Um, the, the only thing that we've been hearing lately is he's getting nice checks for the, uh, the movie? Suicide Squad movie because he, he does actually – is credited with creating Suicide Squad since he was doing art on Legends, hmm. and Suicide Squad was created there. Uh, him and John Ostrander. Uh, get creator credit for that so and he gets creator credit for amanda waller yeah that's so, a, that's the only thing i found on robotics if somebody asked it was related to this that what were the the models given to him by the writers for one amanda waller and he said it was um a nail carter so he based yeah. her on that and he i think he said he blood, based blood sport on carl weathers really that makes sense yeah. makes a lot of sense now yeah because I was sitting there trying to think, is there anybody that could have played him within the last 10, 20 years? Terry Crews. And the only oh, – Terry Crews, yeah, definitely. The first thought that came into my mind, though, was Kimbo Slice, though unfortunately he passed away. Who's Kimbo Slice? Um, Kimbo Slice was a, a street brawler that became an MMA fighter, a very unsuccessful one. But he was he was like the Mr. T of the modern age. Tiny Lister could have done it, too. Tiny Lister. Wow, yeah. He would have been perfect for it. Oh, so sad. Or or even um uh what's his name that played Kingpin? Oh, Michael Clark Duncan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he'd be yeah, he'd be perfect for it. Uh, but I think Terry Crews would probably be the best one. Terry Crews is gonna overall. bring the most uh gravitas to it. Physi you know? Physicality, I yeah. think. Yeah. That you know, because he is still today he is a hulking man. Who's constantly working his body still? Yeah, mm. that's funny. Have you guys seen uh, the latest Fast and Furious Fast Nine? 
Has anybody seen no. it? I, no. I have not. Okay. No, I'm sure you guys don't care about it. We, we went and saw it, but it's, man, it's terrible. But Yeah, well, I've heard that before. It's, uh, it's it defies the laws of physics. Absolutely, it does. Uh, but the, uh, I was listening to a podcast, and they were talking about it, and they said that they go out of their way, because John Cena is in it as uh, Vin Diesel's brother, and he's mm-hmm. so much bigger than Vin Diesel, and they go out of their way to either put Vin Diesel in a box or something. Yeah. They were saying they were doing like uh, Hobbit special effects to make them look like they were kind of about the same height. Uh-huh. When okay. I know Vin Diesel, uh, Cruz is, uh, or uh, uh, Cena's got to be, I would think, six inches taller than Vin Diesel. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, given all that, I mean, again, you know, this, what does it have to do with the, the suicide squad movie? Really not much. The yeah. only tie in between those is the fact that the characters called blood sport yeah. and the fact that he put Superman in the ICU. That's it. Well, you, you seen the, else. you've seen the film, right? Yes. And th- th- maybe this is this is not spoilers. So if you think it is, don't answer it. Does he have the same techniques? The teleport weapon? Oh, you told me. He just he grabs stuff off his his it, jumpsuit it, and it, puts it together. Okay. All built into what? Yeah, his suit, and then he can just sit there and keep adding on attachments to make the gun more powerful. It's like like being Iron Man and and yeah. you know utilizing you know cannibalizing your 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 yeah. stuff. And there's like one point there where he's sitting there trying to find something to use. And it's just like there, there isn't anything. But uh, I mean, it, again, it was, uh, it was fun. It was crazy. It was bizarre and wild. Now, from what I understand, Byrne did receive an invitation to the premiere in L.A., but he he won't show up for any of these. You think he at least have a cameo? He could have had a cameo because uh, John Ostrander showed up in the in the, the first one, I think. Um, and, you know, in one of the boardrooms, yeah, where all the government was talking, I believe. But it's not like you know. Well, he should have had, uh, and I'm sure he doesn't want to do it. But you know, we talked about when we did our movie commentary. How you see Claremont in Days of Future Past, and you, mm-hmm. as a board, as a senator or whatever, and you could have had Burn there as a. Um, but you know, maybe that's not his bag. It, it, yeah, it's it's not because again, he hasn't seen a movie. That's been based on a comic that's really done the justice that he'd like to see. And so he feels that the premiere that that implies an endorsement. Exactly. That's true. Uh, That's true. Because they would he would definitely if he's there, he would want to be interviewed and that kind of thing. But maybe if they finally if they bring Alpha Flight into the MCU, maybe they'll. uh... I can see that as a, a six like they did Loki and they did. One division. I could see them doing like a six episode. I want, eight episode I want of Alpha an Alpha Flight. Flight movie. I want an Alpha Flight movie. <laughs> and I test... want Guardian to die fifteen minutes before the end. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, uh, you gotta test want... the waters first. No, that might I want it on a Disney series. Plus miniseries, yeah. and that's the end of first season, and we're left with your jaw dropping, like, yeah, what? Yeah, and now we get it into the second season. But and I think it goes if you from do that. It, if you do it as a movie and you kill him 15 minutes before the end, I think that you know the, the the audience would go they'd never do that. They never do that in the first movie. I mean, he is the coolest looking superhero they've got. <laughs> you know, and, and, mm-hmm. you know, but again, that's just 
you know, my opinion, I could be wrong. Have you seen the guy that cosplays as that? Yes. He has that suit that's all torn up. Yeah, I've got a, it's one of my wallpapers that shows up. (laughs) Yeah, he's good. Yeah, Maybe you can share it on the the Facebook page so we all can see it. I I had, but I'll put it up again, yeah. I'll be glad to. Uh, Folks. What do you guys think? And I'm talking to the listeners, all three of them. What do you guys think? <laughs> we would really like to hear from you uh, to get what your thoughts and ideas are on this. Uh, you know, the, the, the various things that we've talked about here, especially the, you know, the, the, the Vietnam link on there yeah. and how that works. How could that work today? It just I don't see how it could. And that's part of why this this just wouldn't play today. No, no way. But I wonder if the I'm curious if the value of this has shot up since the movie came out. I was looking at that today, and I saw anywhere between thirty and two hundred and fifty dollars. Wow, I find this a lot in the dollar bins. I find a lot of his like well, I find a lot of his Alpha Flight. And a I find a lot weeks of his ago, Super yeah, Super. but now well now would be obviously, that. but uh, before then, this is I think a kind of forgotten issue. It's not. Because he didn't, you know, he did come. He didn't come back any other really any prior issues. At least not when Byrne was doing them. But I think Byrne told the story he wanted to tell, and that's all he was interested right. in. Yeah, right. I yeah. get the same impression. This yeah. was a one shot done in one, and it's over with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the lowest I see is twenty four dollars. Uh, I see it up to ninety dollars on Mercari. Uh, but yeah, I mean this this is jumping up in value, you know, strictly because of you know what's of the film, yeah. Yeah. This, this would be beautiful to have some pages from this. I bet. Um, oh. So I'm, I, I actually found a uh, a cover shot, a cover image here where they got Bobby Dubois and Alex Trent uh, basically getting into a fight with each other. So that's got to be the issue where. Uh, um, yeah. And the well, costume for either of them, neither of them looks like the costume, of course, that uh, Idris Elba wears in the, in the movie. Yeah. Well, apparently that one, they're going to – I guess the other guy is like a racist. So they're kind yeah. of at each other. And the warden decides, there's no way to settle this if you guys have a boxing match. And they invite Superman to referee. Yeah. And that's like – that's a little it's a little silly. Yeah. That's – yeah. No. Yeah. Anyway, like I said, if you guys have an opinion about this, please write us at gotta get burned at gmail.com. Uh, you know, we'll read it on the air. We've, we've got some we can read, don't we? I don't know where we left off on the last one, do you? Uh, I don't remember, but... We, we read one from Mr. Lady and one from Mr. Uh, Chef... Sheffield, yeah. So let me take a look there. Uh... Yeah, probably time for one, but I'm going to have to get um, off here about so two So it would be, uh, oh yeah, episode 32, Interns Take Over. Did we read this one? I don't think so. Okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it since I got it right up. Uh, hi guys, I was looking for something burned to listen to to get me through some domestic chores today. To my dismay, however, there was still no sign of the latest Third Degree Burn podcast. The last one being April 19th, the 75th episode which is three weeks ago. Come on, guys. You've all taken a holiday or something? Just kidding. I know you're probably busy with that annoying distraction work. So I decided to trawl through the back numbers, and I found issue 32 covering X-Men 115 and Fantastic Four 284, 
both with November cover dates. I was amused by the idea that John and David hijacked the show and covered the titles themselves, having overpowered Tim and Brian <laughs> at the start of the podcast. I enjoyed their review of the said issues, and I don't know if this was the first time they had gone solo as the presenters, but I just wanted to say I thought they did a really good job. Dare I say, Tim and Brian, maybe the interns deserve a reward for their contributions. LOL. You know, I was thinking something along those lines, and I'd just like to give you both a baby Ruth. You, you've earned it. Anyhow, looking Thanks. forward to the next podcast and hope it comes soon. Rick Sheffield. Thanks, Rick. We really appreciate yeah, that. And they did do great work. They always do great work. Um, I mean, these guys, all of them have been very consistent in what they did, which is why Tim and I made them a part of the show permanently. They're full-fledged. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, they, they, they don't wear the they don't wear the three and a half on their shirt. They're full-fledged members now. <laughs> Uh, they have a t-shirt that says podcaster on the back yes <laughs> i like it's, that yeah i like that too Don't, i can't my, wait to wear it at comic-con my, my wife wears one though so i got i got star know. trek las vegas coming up next week that's right are you going oh i got my five-day ticket i am definitely going hey uh you know still nobody has left us a review on apple Podcasts, formerly itunes we got five of them out there. That's it. Five of them. And the most recent one was from over a year ago, April of last year. Somebody, please <laughs> go out there and give us a review. Please. Get Brian to oh. shut up and leave us a review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have anything else? No, I, I, I just want to say that, again, I think it's kind of a forgotten issue, but it's it's a it's – it's on par with the rest of the issues that he's done. I it's, just it's, don't see um, it as forgotten. I think that Bloodsport was uh, well, well, well crafted, well created. He had uh, a cool look about him, and it's a costume that that anybody could almost reconstruct with you know barely a day. Well, what I mean is, I you don't hear this talked about a lot. That's what I'm saying. You don't hear this sure. issue uh, for his run. So, but it it's, it doesn't mean it's a lesser issue. It's a it's you know like. It, it, it's got a compelling story. The artwork is beautiful and it's fast paced, but you can read this in like 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's worth reading. If you haven't read it and you've seen the movie, you're interested in his origins as they, so much they were related to the film, but you know, I'd say check it out. And it's to your point, it's, you can find it in lots of places. You don't have to have the original issue. Okay. Now with us having just a few minutes left here, uh, John Kirk, Tim, uh, I, I suggested, this one so do you guys have any thoughts on what we should do next time uh, i was thinking about a champions issue i was going to suggest 14, that you, that you mentioned that so yeah i'm all i'm all for we maybe all three of them in, in a very abbreviated form we could do that we haven't touched that you know that's uh, that's some early burn so yeah I'm, I'm all for that all right i like that so, uh, so who's going to do the heavy lifting? Well, we can parse it out. I'll take an issue and do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll take an David, issue. David, apparently yeah. David's doing the heavy lifting. And David. <laughs> we'll sign, <laughs> sign them all to David. Yeah, that's right. David's not here, so let's let him do it. <laughs> okay, well, we'll get that figured we'll out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so who wants to take us out? I brought us in. You can take us out. How's that? Okay. Well, you know, thank you all for listening. I hope you really enjoyed the show. We had a great time putting it together. 
Uh, I want to thank Tim, Kirk, and John for being on here. And David, we missed you. Uh, hopefully that, you know, you can get all the flooded water, you know, off the floor and you can get your wife to calm down just a little bit so that you can join us next time. Uh, but uh, that being said, for Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. That's Tim Elliott. Say goodnight, Tim. Good night. That's Kirk Greenfield. Good night. And that's John Hyatt. 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 I like that. Hyatt. I like that. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.